0: Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now, here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon.
1: Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. We have a great show today. My guest is Jessica Fox. Jessica, thank you for being here. Absolutely. I'm so honored to be hosting a show about adoption, and I know that you share the same heart. Um, just that we want to inform people the whole journey, what it's like to bring home a child, what it's like to go through all the paperwork, how expensive it is. And one of the things that's so great about having Jessica on the show is we connected because I lived in Uganda way, way back. And in 2002, I actually tried to adopt from Uganda. At the time, it was only open to people who were working in the country. Um, But still, it was very, very difficult. And so fast forward uh, about 10 years, and we did an infant adoption. Talking to one of her friends, she said, oh, my goodness, you have to meet Jessica. She brought a little boy home from Uganda, which was a huge shock to me. It was the first family I had met that actually went to a country that I love so much and brought a child home. So Jessica, I can't wait to hear that story. Your your story is really so much like Noah and I. You pursued adoption first, correct? Correct, yeah. And so tell us a little bit why you decided to go that route.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So in 2013, my husband and I had been married for about two years and kind of, as a lot of couples do, we started talking about growing our family, having kids and, um, almost from that immediate conversation, we really felt the Lord laying adoption on our hearts. Um, so we started to pursue the various options, right? So either like domestic infant or foster care or international adoption, just through some real divine appointments, we really felt the Lord calling us to, um, international adoption. Um, We landed on Uganda because we um, logged into the Department of Justice webpage, and so with international adoptions, there are country requirements that families have to meet, and so as we went down through the list, and I was only 25 or 26 at the time, um, so there's age requirements, marriage length requirements, income requirements, religion requirements, et cetera, for different countries, and so we... um, the requirements that my husband and I both met were either for Bulgaria or for Uganda. Um, so we were just praying over both of those countries for for several months. And God kept shutting doors to Bulgaria and bringing people into our path who had either adopted from Uganda or had nonprofits in Uganda. And Uganda just kept coming up for our family. Um, so in January of 2013, um, yeah, we knew that Uganda was where we were to adopt from.
1: And so you were matched at that time, or what was the process then on this side in the United States?
0: For sure. So we completed in Colorado a home study through one agency, and we also used a separate agency that worked in Uganda. So we started the application process in January, um, and at that time we were told to expect um, 18 to 24 months till we would expect a referral. So we're in Pennsylvania, I'm running my photography company, I'm traveling, I get an email, and it is a picture of a little boy. Now, my husband had just that week before <laughs> been laid off from his job. Of course. He's of course. like not been able to find new employment. So we get this email and we're like, oh my gosh, like what? Four months? Like we said two years. We ha- He has no job. We have no income. Like what? And so I emailed Stephen and I said, did you see this email? Like what are we supposed to do? And he said, that's our son. We're going to go. So on with no employment, no fundraising done, like we were not equipped or ready to go at that time, um, they said, can you travel in five weeks? And we did, so we left um, the first week of June and traveled to Uganda.
1: Oh my goodness. OK, so if somebody's listening, what amount should you, they be saving for?
0: So it really depends on um, the agency that you use. Um, but really, average international adoptions are between thirty-five and 45,000.
1: OK, so you get matched to baby Owen. Was he a baby?
0: He was 18 months old. OK. At the time.
1: And what was his story?
0: Um, so he had he was in a baby home in Uganda, and so we were matched with Owen at eighteen months. Um, by the time we traveled, he was twenty months when we when we got to meet him that day. So we um, flew to Uganda and then drove to his village, which was about eight hours from the airport. Um, and then that night that we got into country. Um, We got a phone call saying that court was canceled, that the judges had dismissed the cases, the court was canceled, and there was no – they were closed for the summer and there was nothing that was going to go on and that we should go home and expect to return in the fall. Um, At this point, we're staying at a guest house that night. We were supposed to meet him in the morning, and we're like three minutes down the road with a sweet boy that we adore so desperately. Um, And – We were there with a couple other families that were also adopting from that baby home. And we all, I remember just standing in the hall, like holding hands with complete strangers, just like, God, we know you didn't bring us here to abandon us. We know that like you divinely orchestrated for us to be standing here and he's right down the road and we're not going to like get back on a plane and head home. So we went the next morning and got to meet him Um and spent the next four days getting to meet him. And at that point, we took foster orders out so that we could take him out of the baby home. But we couldn't leave the country with him, and we couldn't leave the country. So we were fostering him in Uganda. Um, and from there, we just went and petitioned judge after judge after judge, um, sat outside, asked everybody. I mean, it was just grueling at the time until so we could fight to get back on a court docket to have our case heard.
1: How long did that take?
0: Um, it was just shy of five weeks that we were just spinning wheels, trying.
1: You were there for five weeks? Mm-hmm. No way. Is that normal to travel to the country that long?
0: We were told four to six weeks at the time that we had started, so that was what we had kind of anticipated. But in that four to six weeks, we were expecting, um... We were expecting to be making steps in the, in the legal process the entire time. And we had spent five weeks and done nothing. So at five weeks, we'd started court and then had to go through all the medical, immigration, visa, embassy interviews, all of those steps. So we were in country just shy of nine weeks till we finally arrived back in Colorado.
1: That is so amazing that your husband had lost his job yeah, I mean, really? because then he could go with you the entire time. Was he did he stay with you?
0: He didn't. So he oh. actually the day that after so we got his referral that day, we accepted it. And the next day he got his first job offer. So that was just God, like right k- stepping out like this is not going to be easy, but like, yes, God absolutely provides provo- provided. Um, so no, Steve was able to stay in country for um those first couple weeks. and then I stayed in country with Owen for the remainder of the time, Steve came back to work. So once you got to the
1: baby orphanage, did they tell you how Owen got there? Was he born there? Did he stay the whole 18 months with the same people? He was. The whole time? He had so how did he react to you? I mean, did he go right to you? Did he want to leave his orphanage?
0: So like I said, we were there four days. So that first day that we went, there's nothing that can prepare you to hear a child cry in a carnal way like that. It was, it was devastating to hear. He pushed and he fought and pushed against us and, um, just screamed until he fell asleep that, that first afternoon, which we got to hold him. And then they, you know, we would leave during their nap time and come back in the evening for a couple hours and see him. And so each time we would go back and visit, um, it became less and less. One of the things that the that the baby home did really well, or to our benefit as a family for bonding, is once we got there, they immediately said, this is your mom, and they started to ignore him, um, which was really sad, but really beneficial for him in that right. it forced him to start to bond with us, that these people are going to ignore me, then I will start having my needs met by you, and I'll start seeking comfort from you. And so that began a long road of his bonding and his attachment with us. But
1: it's kind of heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I think adoption is heartbreaking. If, you're, if your heart isn't broken in the process somewhere along the line, I wonder if you're really adopting. Because to think that your joy is birthed out of such loss and a child at some point has to face rejection so young and, and then, you know, obviously they're adopted by you and they're loved, but working on that healing from rejection, even when you get an infant, but how much more so as they grow older, is is hard work. Mm-hmm. So what are the, some of the things that you did to to try to really connect and let him know he's safe?
0: You know one of the biggest pieces that we that we did was cocooning. And that happened when we were in country and also when we got back. We um, baby wore him a lot and that the proximity of him to me allowed for him not to wander off or to people to come in and touch him or to meet his needs as easily. And so having him physically close to me also allowed for me to make eye contact him for to hear my voice, to use gentle hands and just for him to like start to feel safe with me. Um, But when we arrived home, you know, obviously grandparents are so excited, want to see him and we put a sign up on our door that was like, You know, please no touch, no talk, no eye contact, which sounds so extreme, but he needed to know that we were a safe place and that there was something that made us unique versus the fact that he had come from an institutional setting where there were several caregivers and that he could go to any of them and get his needs met. And that's not the way that a family structure works. And so teaching him what a family meant, that you don't just go to any mom you have a right. mom and this mom meets your needs or you don't go to anybody when you cry. And so asking people as they started to come in, you know, if he falls, please don't catch him. Just let him lay on the floor and cry so we could rush in and meet his needs. And so it was really hard. We lost a lot of friendships along that road because people had emotionally supported us, right. financially supported us, prayed for us for all this road. And yet, you know, we, can we hold him? Can we come? Can you know, which is totally understandable. And yet like, not really an option for little kiddos who have come from hard places and have known trauma as they heal and as they learn. And so much had changed in his world that keeping his world small until he really grasped what this new family was going to look like um, was a really long process. How
1: long did you cocoon him?
0: We cocooned fully for probably the first, I want to say eight or nine months. Really. And when you say cocoon, you mean you had him in a front carrier? I mean cocoon in that we didn't really leave our house, that he didn't go to Sunday school. We didn't, Stephen and I didn't leave. Steve would go to work, but he was always with one of us, Um, that we didn't allow people to come into the home, that nobody else met his needs. We didn't allow other people to hug him, give him physical attention, talk to him, feed him, any of those things. So
1: cocooning is more than just the way you're holding him. It's the whole thing of just really you guys and him. Mm -hmm. How does a family do that if they have other children?
0: You know, for us, that was a piece that I'm super thankful for. We didn't have other children in the home. And so that's kind of, as our journeys continued on and we're approaching our second adoption, that's something that we're having to like figure out how that's going to work. That first time, I think that from other families that we know that have had. Several children in the home. I think that that's a great opportunity for grandparents to step in and be able to take the other children that are already in the home for special grandparent dates. So those kids feel important, but give mom and dad opportunity to cocoon. um, Offering to babysit the other children for friends would be a really super helpful way to step in and allow that one-on-one time for the family to bond.
1: How old is Owen now?
0: Owen's four and a half.
1: And how is he doing? He's awesome. He's attached.
0: Yeah he's it's incredible he just had his first t-ball game the other day and Steven and I were like weeping on the sidelines at how far God has just healed his little heart and redeemed his life because um, the fact that he's just bravely able to throw on his hat and run out onto a field is not the little boy that we met three years ago who was so stricken with fear um, and rightly so but his little heart has just healed and he has just blossomed he's just a happy joyful little boy he's incredible
1: That's so amazing.
0: And in this process, you got pregnant. Mm -hmm.
1: Let's talk about that. Yeah. How old was Owen when you got pregnant?
0: So we came home from Uganda in August of 2013. And um, I got pregnant with Atlas November of 2013, pretty much as a surprise. We weren't trying. We were not not trying, but bammo. Um, And so that was a really interesting process. You know what that really did that was a benefit was to open up, where do babies come from? Did I grow in your belly, mom? Which these conversations for kiddos that come into families that don't ever see their mom pregnant or or come at the youngest, um, it opened up a lot of opportunities for us to talk and to answer questions and start that dialogue about adoption early, which is so important. So
1: then you gave birth to a little boy and named him Atlas, which is very cool. Such a (laughs) darling little name. And how do the two of them, do they get along?
0: They're incredible. I was so concerned the entire time I was pregnant with Atlas that A, I wouldn't be able to love him like I loved Owen, and B, that they wouldn't get along. And they are inseparable in the most precious way. They just adore one another, both of them.
1: So Jessica is still on the road to adoption. She still wants another baby. When we come back, we're going to talk about how she jumped into foster care. You're listening to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We'll be right back.
0: This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670kltt.com. COMING UP THIS WEEK ON FAITH, WORK, AND CULTURE WITH OSS HILLMAN, DOES YOUR WORK MATTER TO GOD? SO MANY PEOPLE IN THE WORKPLACE FEEL LIKE SECOND-CLASS CITIZENS BECAUSE THEY THINK THEIR WORK LIFE HAS NO SPIRITUAL VALUE. DO WE VIEW OUR WORK AS A CALLING AND OPPORTUNITY TO MAKE GOD KNOWN? LISTEN FOR A BIBLICAL PERSPECTIVE ON OUR WORK WHEN YOU JOIN US FOR FAITH, WORK, AND CULTURE WITH Os HILLMAN. Join us Saturdays at noon for Faith, Work and Culture here on the Mighty 670. Faith and Family Radio, KLT Denver.
1: Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. My guest today is Jessica Fox, who adopted her son from Uganda. She then got pregnant with her little boy Atlas and is now pursuing adoption again. So this time, you decided to go through foster care. Let's talk a little bit about that.
0: We did. So we actually initially started our second adoption. We knew that we wanted to adopt again right after we um, brought Owen home. That was always, you know, in the game plan.
1: Um, I think it's important to say, because you went to Uganda, and so when your family becomes an interracial family, oftentimes keep your heart open to having another child with that same skin. It was very important in our family, and so I know Owen is... Asking you guys, hey, mm-hmm. where's my sibling? Yep. And so that's really important. You feel compelled to make that happen
0: for him. For sure. So we, um, as you know, we just touched on his relationship with Atlas, which there's nothing I could ask for him to be closer the two of them. I mean, it's it's precious to watch that God's knit them together as brothers. But Atlas is obviously white, and um, Owen is African American, and so as much as he loves Atlas, he does ask on a regular basis, Mom, Where can I have a brother that matches my skin? Can I have a brother that matches my skin? And so um, we knew that we wanted to pursue another adoption because A, we feel a heart for the fatherless and we know that there are other children that need homes and B, also that we wanted there to be another child in their home that looked like Owen. Um, So we started actually this journey last year again for the second time through Uganda that was our heart. We love Uganda so deeply. After spending three months there and it being part of our sense culture, there was no way for us to separate ourselves from Uganda. We adore that country and its people. And so we started that process. But so much has changed in international adoption through Uganda in the last three years um, that the country has slowed down immensely. A lot of the legal um, requirements and ramifications for adapting have changed. And so at this point, um, you got an adoption, at least, in the imminent present does not look like an option for our family. Um, so at that time, we felt like we would go to the area of greatest need, which we felt at the time was foster care. We became a foster, um, a licensed foster home, and um, had numerous calls for placements. Um, and due to having other children in our home, some of them we would say yes to, and some you know we felt we weren't equipped to deal with. Um, but we were called at five p.m. on a Thursday evening, asking us to take an emergency placement for a little boy. He was three and a half, and nothing was known about him other than his name and that he'd been found that morning. So our family said yes that we would take him, and forty five minutes later, he was on his on our porch with nothing but a superhero in his hand and his stocking feet. Um, and that process um, of him coming into our home. And attempting to meet his immense needs um, was really jarring. Um, This little boy, it was unknown at the time that he arrived, but had immense trauma and neglect, Um, was three and a half and nonverbal, was unable to consume food. That next morning, he woke up and started passing out and vomiting from the inability to eat. We took him to the emergency room where we spent the first three days with him. Admitted to the hospital, at Children's Hospital, um, with, you know, a refeeding syndrome that no one knew how long he had had food or not. So he came back into our home and after he was released from the hospital and started um, aggressive and strategic violence towards our youngest son, which we have walked the trauma road and we have walked... Neglect, And we have walked abuse and we have walked that with our oldest son and what that looks like and how that manifests. Um, but we were not able to risk the physical safety of any of the children in our home. And we felt like that was our top priority. That was our, if we couldn't protect the children that got it already endowed us with, and we weren't doing a service to anybody right. by fostering. Um, so the little boy ended up being placed in a in another home, which was so heartbreaking for our family um, to have to come to that point of saying that we were not the right family and we were not equipped to meet the extensive level of needs this little boy had while also parenting two other small children, one of which with a trauma background that comes with his own trauma triggers Himself, And so we really needed to walk a fine line between really wanting to help and not. And so after he was removed from our home, he was placed into another foster home where we've since heard that he's thriving. He was placed in a home without other small children, which is what he absolutely needed. And he's absolutely thriving. And so that like, alleviated some of that guilt. But it was a really hard decision to make between One or the other. And so since that time, um, our family decided that until both of our children are older um, and at least our children are verbal and physically able to not defend themselves, but not be thrown around so much physically and have a little more cognitive ability of what's going on and what's coming into their house that that we were putting foster care on the back burner.
1: It is something that is so mind-blowing when you have a heart to do something and you're thinking, well, I want to help this child, but then you're asking these little people to also have a heart and they're little. They don't understand. They don't get it. Why is this child trying to drown me and hitting me and hurting me and my mom is not doing anything or she can't do anything? And so you become... It's just so hard to parent that way. You're not making anyone happy. You're not meeting the kids' needs, and you're not meeting your own children's needs. And you're just—it becomes a circus. And until you've really gone through it, you don't know. Mm-hmm. You can't really understand the guilt that you feel when you can't keep a placement in your home. Mm-hmm. When um, your children are starting to go backwards after you work so hard that they heal from trauma, you all of a sudden you're in trauma again. And so I just really, when I heard your story, because it's so much like mine in our foster care situation, really wanted to reach out to you and just say, and any family that's listening right now that you're struggling so much, we understand. And no one else can know what's going on in your family. And sometimes you have to make a really, really hard decision. But in the end, I feel like God does something amazing because his heart is for that child. He's going to find that child the right home, Absolutely. the right place. And so when we step in and say, no, it's got to be us, or we let that guilt come upon us,
0: mm-hmm. we kind
1: of rob that child from what they need as well.
0: Absolutely. I think the other piece to consider is for those of families that may be considering foster care with already adopted children in the home, that fluidity of attachment, that, that things can set it back. And as you were just talking about um that was, that was really hard for us to, to risk where Owen was because we were then gone all the time. We were gone in the hospital and a new kid comes in and now mom and dad are gone. And so that was really triggering for Owen. Like, am I being replaced? Is this? And all of that, you know, as long as you keep your foot on the gas with attachment and you, you know, keep your parameters of what you know is not going to send your child into trauma triggers, um, you know, kind of in place. But the second you kind of take that off, it is a really fluid thing. Attachment can kind of wane and grow depending on their age, depending on the circumstances, depending on those other things. And so the guilt was immense of having to pick between one of these children. And that really is what we were forced to do which was to say what is our absolute top priority and the absolute top priority has to be the children in our home but you're absolutely right god does orchestrate because this little boy is now thriving in another family it's
1: interesting to me we did the same thing so aj is african-american we adopted lily who is colombian and though he loves lily he kept saying i want a baby with my color hair and so we did the foster care brought a, a traumatized child into our home severely abused very similar to your story and it was almost more devastating to aj Mm -hmm. because now this little boy who has his color hair and skin is now being so abusive to him and now he's watching mom and dad scramble and we're it it just felt like okay we have to look at a lot more than just the color of skin and foster care for our family at that time because we were trying to grow a family Mm -hmm. was not working we couldn't bring a child in and possibly lose that child or have trauma, we had to go infant. So we kind of pulled away and uh, rethought everything and healed from that and then pursued infant adoption until we brought home Vivi. And I will say, I will encourage you that when we brought Vivi home, some something happened. There was this immense healing and immense peace that came into our home. And that peace was how we knew we did the right thing. Mm-hmm. It didn't make any sense and it was a crazy journey, but bringing that baby home. AJ's heart was happy. Lily's heart. Well, she was a little jealous, but she wasn't being abused and it didn't affect attachment. And so we kind of went forward as, as a family. And sometimes we think in the chaos, just keep pushing through, just keep pushing through. And sometimes God is saying, no, just let it go. And so you're in that place right now where you're kind of pulling back and saying, maybe we should do domestic infant adoption. Mm -hmm. So what journey are you going to go on for that?
0: So, we have, and this is all, I mean, this is going down as we speak. This is all just in the last, you know, few days. Like or you could weeks. get a call right now. We could get a call right now. I have to go. Excuse me. Off. I gotta go. Um, yeah, so, um, though, when we walked away from foster care after that situation, um kind of for that same reason, we didn't feel like we could risk the physical safety of our children any longer at this at this age. It's certainly something that we know there's an immense need for.
1: And some people do it and it works out great. Absolutely. We just want to say that as well. This is, you know, kind of our story, but it's not everybody's story. Some people Absolutely. do get a baby and it it turns out fine. Mm-hmm. But the risk that is so high, sometimes you have to say, okay, we're going to go a different way. God's leading us to a different way. For sure.
0: And, and we are those people, like you just said, that we'll keep mustering through and keep like, you know, pushing into the flames. And it really took that situation of it being that extreme for really God to shut that door for our family and say, this isn't where I'm like, this was noble. And this is like, this felt like a great thing for your family to do. But this isn't, this isn't where I'm calling your family. And so he like clearly shut that door in a really big and traumatic way. But it was clear to us that like, okay. This is we're not we can't just keep running into this we have to stop. Um, so yeah, we are in the process of um, pursuing domestic infant adoption. Um, I'm not sure what what else to share on that. We don't I don't have a whole lot of details at this time, other than the fact that you know we're pursuing an adoption of another African American child because of Owen um, being African American and and really feeling like maintaining birth order in our home is really important in this season with other small children. So a four year old and eighteen month old. And so putting a kid in the middle of that or making Owen younger than somebody and all of that, it really feels with the ages of our children in the season we are that God's really calling us to maintain birth order and to add to our family, but in a natural way. so.
1: So can you take your foster care home study and change it to a domestic infant adoption home study or how does that work?
0: So we're, since we're a licensed foster home, we have a licensed number and so we are able to meet with our home study agency and do an update to that existing home study to make it. A domestic infant home study, so it was. It's for our family personally. It was just one home study visit to update that.
1: I can't wait to hear this journey. And when you bring your baby home, we are going to be so excited for you, and really have you back on the show because it's probably going to be another great story. And I know that you're going to go out of this state and you're seeking out other states, which is a, a kind of a popular thing to do now. Um, if you're looking for African American going out, we went to Florida, um, which there were so many children and. In Florida, they're looking for families. Please, mm-hmm. please help us find other families that are looking for African American children. And it really does change your life to become an interracial family. And if maybe you have one and you're thinking, ah, oh, gosh, I, I maybe I should, you know, adopt another one. We would highly encourage it. I have seen a tremendous difference in my son AJ. Just wherever he goes, people stop us all the time. Anyways, but now when they stop us, he he's really proud. He's like my sister and I. We We are, you know, people always say, are they from Africa or tell me their story and all these things, but he doesn't feel alone anymore. The eyes aren't just completely on him. Mm -hmm. And so he shares that with his sister and it's a very close bond. And so having skin color, uh, having another child with the same skin color can be really, really important. So I'm really proud of you for not giving up. I'm proud of you for taking Owen's needs into consideration and really, really caring about children beyond your own needs and the things that maybe you guys want to do. Everyone says, well, you guys could have gone on a million vacations. It's like, yeah, we could have. Can't a
0: price on a life, though.
1: It's amazing. And when it works together and God is teaching you something, it's just such an amazing journey. Totally worth it. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you. If you would like to tell your story, please contact us at adoption-now.com. Check us out on Facebook, and you can see a picture of Jessica, her husband Stephen, Owen, and Atlas. If you'd like to hear any of our other stories or know someone who would be interested, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes under Adoption Now. Thank you for joining us on Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.